0: Hello, everybody. Welcome uh, to Church in the Valley. Like John mentioned, we are really glad that you guys are here with us this morning. I'm going to state the obvious. We have a group of people missing and they sit right there. Uh, Christian Challenge, a collegiate ministry that we partner with here at Church in the Valley, are having their fall discipleship conference uh, this weekend. And they're in Big Bear. And so if you see like, what's different? Did they decorate differently? We did that as well. well. We didn't, but the school did. Also, you'll notice our normal crowd that sits right there. Is, so, anytime, feel free. You can always scoot up here at Church in the Valley. But, like I mentioned, we're really glad you guys are here. We're a smack dab in the middle of a series called Suburban Myths. And these myths are really beliefs or assumptions that we tend to have about what's important about life, like how life works. Uh, really like the path that we think we should travel on. And usually we travel on it with certain assumptions in mind. And these myths are common uh, to all of us. And we've been on this journey really looking at what life is all about and what are the things that we should hold close to us, uh, what we should be thinking about, what we should be kind of giving ourselves to. And in the midst of that, uh, there's a lot of things that we realize we have to focus on and there's a lot of things that we have to realize in life that we shouldn't focus on and depending what you give yourself to depending what you give your attention to your resources to your time to uh, that really does actually impact the outcome and the course of your life we've been actually digging into the scriptures following kind of the life journey of a man named Solomon and Solomon in the Old Testament was a king he was the third king of Israel and he was considered the wisest man that, that ever lived. And God granted him this wisdom. And in his wisdom, he wanted to really figure out what, what life was all about. And at the end of his life, he spent some time walking with God and really following his commandments and trying to please him. And then, like's common to most people, he spent some of his life not doing that. And some of his life was committed to God and some of his life was not. And in the midst of trying to kind of figure out what was really important and figure out kind of life for himself, he, he, tended to, he drifted away from God. He, he drifted away from following exactly the commands that, that God had given him and the people of Israel. And what you find in Scripture specifically in the book of Ecclesiastes is this kind of like open journal where he's expressing his frustrations about life. And in the midst of the frustration, he's making observations and he's drawing conclusions and he's trying to evaluate what is really important. And really what he's doing, he's looking at these myths. He's saying, you know, it tends to people have certain things that they really want to do in their life. And he's kind of taking a step back and saying, you know what? I'm going to try to figure out if that really works. If this seems really important to humans, and it seems like it is because I see everyone going this path, I'm going to try to figure out if it works. And so what we've been doing over the last few weeks is spending time in the book of Ecclesiastes, reading his personal account of how he thinks life works. And it's been pretty raw. We started really with what's the point? What's the meaning? What's the purpose of it all? And he basically drew this conclusion like, man, life is so short. If you don't figure it out, your life is going to be wasted. And you see this just frustration that he kind of continues to talk about and he continues to talk about. Well, today's topic, we're talking about an issue and really a myth that we all can experience ourselves. It's something that we are you know, used to seeing in today's culture and in our world. And that's the idea of the pursuit and the love of power and money. And Solomon, in his life, tried to figure out, is power and money, if you pursue that your whole life, will that give you the life that you want? Will that bring meaning to your life? Will it bring fulfillment to your life? And I was thinking about this issue of power and money, and I realized really, you know, power and money are not evil in themselves. It's really what happens when we pursue them and when we love them with, with everything that we have. If that becomes the end of our life in itself, to get power, to get money, you find that there's a lot of consequences, there's a lot of things that come from that. And that's what Solomon is really talking about. Not just people who experience power because of influence or people who have money because of their work, but really the idea of loving Power, Loving money and giving yourself over to it. And so today, we're going to be talking about what happens when our hearts get drawn to that. Not just when we you know, work a job and we get a paycheck, but when we really are drawn to power and when we're drawn to money. What, what can happen to the outcome of our lives? So we're going to go on a journey. We're going to actually read through a lot of Ecclesiastes today. So we're going to be hearing a lot from Solomon, a lot from his own perspective and his own conclusions. And so I hope you can you can follow along. But what you find is if you're in a situation where somebody is exhibiting power over you and they do it in an unjust way and they do it in a way that's really to please themselves. We've all experienced that kind of power. It's 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 frustrating. It's overwhelming. And no one wants to be under a boss or an authority like that. None of us. In fact, the scriptures speak to this. In fact, Solomon wrote the book of Proverbs, which is like wise sayings that he kind of also learned from walking with God. And this is something he said in Proverbs 28, a ruler who lacks understanding is a cruel oppressor. And we all have that like one teacher that we had in life that we felt, man, they were the cruel oppressor. They didn't understand me. They didn't get me. But some of the time that could be true. Some of the time it just, we were squirrely kids. But We've all experienced the power that someone has over us and it can feel very oppressive. What Solomon is drawing here in Proverbs is connected to his thoughts in Ecclesiastes, this idea that if somebody lacks understanding, really, if somebody doesn't understand how life works, how power should be used, then it is oppressive. It sucks the life out of relationships. And so for us, we're not experiencing life like Solomon. He, he was a king. So he really had the power of a ruler of a kingdom, like of a a monarch. We don't experience that. But we do experience power in the relationships that we have. And we experience power in the country. We experience it all in in, in different levels, mostly on the micro level. And so I just want to kind of jump, give you some context of what Solomon, some of the conclusions that he made in Ecclesiastes chapter 4. And you can follow along on the screen. This is what he's saying. You'll see Solomon says a lot of, again, I saw. And what he's saying is, Again, I'm observing. Again, I'm evaluating. Again, I'm making conclusions. He's just trying to kind of glean and write all the stuff that he's experiencing. And this is what he says. Again, I saw all the oppressions that are done under the sun. So he's saying, I've seen these people that have used their power for evil. He says, and behold, the tears of the oppressed, and they had no one to comfort them. Then he goes on. On their side of their oppressors, there was power and, then, and there was no one to comfort them. So he's saying the, the oppressors and the one oppressed both have this loneliness to life. There's no one to comfort them. If you're squashed by a power or if you're the person exhibiting that power, you have no one to comfort you because of your position, because of what you do, because of what you've done. And then he says in verse 2, and this is like one of those extreme like, Whoa, Solomon, take a breath, calm down. This is what he says. And I thought the dead who are already dead more fortunate than the living who are still alive. Is that a crazy verse? He's saying, you know, if you've died already, I am so happy for you. Because to live under oppression in this just murdered society that we face with power and oppression, it's, it's nasty. It's not enjoyable. No one wants to be in it. And he's he's saying this. It's it's terrible. What he's doing is he's describing this position that we all have in all of our relationships to power up on others. Power up. It's to exhibit control. It's to show people that we are the boss. Now, if we are the boss in certain relationships, parents, you are actually the bosses of your kids. There is power that you have as their parents that you actually need to use to instruct them and lead them. If you are a boss at work, you do actually have to use your power and your leadership to lead the organization and to lead the people in the same way. It's the same in church life. Again, power is not bad. What he's talking about, Solomon, is really this idea of when you try to use your power to squash the people underneath you. And he draws some conclusions later in the book of Ecclesiastes saying, here's some effects that happen when we power up on others, when we try to leverage the power we've been given not to bless people, but to hurt them. And here's the conclusion he makes. He's saying it's a lose-lose situation. No one is benefited. And that's what he says, the scriptures I just read, and they had no one to comfort them. If you're oppressed by somebody, you feel helpless. And so people may pursue power, and it may be something that drives you, but if you've been the person underneath somebody that's powered up over you, you felt that power, who wants that? Because you felt the feelings. You felt the experience of somebody that's tried to leverage their position to kind of get their way. You have no one to comfort you. And he said the same thing about the oppressed. If you treat people that way, it doesn't just stay at work. It doesn't just stay in your house. If you power up on people, it impacts and it trickles into all your relationships, your circumstances, and your life. So is trying to draw attention like this pursuit of power, this ability to be in control. You have to be careful. Watch out. It's a lose-lose situation. He writes again in Proverbs 16, Better a patient man than a warrior, a man who controls his temper than one who takes a city. He's describing the power up that we can experience. We can feel like that, like a warrior taking a city you ever entered into a relationship with somebody and they've done something that frustrates you? We all have. And what they did, you just if they only knew what I was trying to do, and you start to run these scenarios, and you begin to kind of run these things that you want to do and you want to speak your mind. I know I get in those situations. Like You just want to unleash. You want your mouth to open and just the fire to come out like a dragon. Am I the only one? Come on, people. This is common. We want to, people to have it. It's an impulse. It's just an emotional reaction that we have. We want people to have it. We call it venting. Now I just have to get that off my chest. And I'm glad I did. I said, give them a piece of my mind. It feels so good in the moment, does it? Well, I told them, you sure did. And you walk away. What did I just say? What you realize is, it doesn't make an impact for positive. It doesn't help you. It doesn't help the person. You let them have it. And then they're just left in mush and you walk away. There's got to be something better. And that's what Solomon's saying. There's got to be something better than this power up that we have. And you find it in marriages a lot. Husband does something. Wife gets mad. Wife, well, I'm going to show you. Wife does something. Husband, and it's cyclical. And just again and again. Friendships, same thing. Roommates, same thing. Siblings, same thing. Bosses to employees, employees to employees, employees to bosses. It's all intertwined. No one wants to be powered up over. It's true. What tends to happen when we feel like that, then we want to power up over them. And what Solomon is saying, it's, it's lose-lose. It may feel good in the moment. It may feel right. But it doesn't help you. It doesn't help them. And that's what he's saying. It's, it's better not to be alive than to experience that over the course of a life, every day going through that. But it's this thing inside of us that we just we want to exhibit control. Over people, we want to exhibit control over our circumstances. Everything that we feel like we don't have control over, it's spiraling. We don't like spirals in life. We don't like the unpredictable in life. We don't like people doing things that we didn't know they were going to do. And so there's a sense in which we just want to hold it right in our hands. Like someone says, it's just it's like chasing the wind. It doesn't it doesn't work. It just slips right through. And that's what happens when we power up. And really, what he's drawing is in your relationships that you have, no matter the context, by powering up, you may get what you want, but you don't get what you need. It may have felt good in the moment, but you actually don't have anything of substance that's going to help you from powering up. It won't help you. And he goes on in Ecclesiastes 4, and this is an interesting passage, but he's tying kind of this idea of what happens when you power up, there's isolation. And when there's isolation, you're alone. And then he describes why that's not good. Ecclesiastes 4:9 9-10, he says, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. See, when you look at that verse in the context, you find he's really talking about this power and oppression divides people. It isolates people. It leads to loneliness. And he's painting this picture of the person who falls and has no one to pick him up. See, so this verse is a little bit different for me. This is what I call the dating verse. When I wanted to ask my wife to be my girlfriend way back in college, we went on a hike on a mountaintop. And I thought, you know, I, I need to give a vision for the relationship. I need to kind of inspire, like, what is this going to be about? And I, I read this verse, two are better than one. My idea was like, let's team up together. Right? Because if we fall down, we're all alone. I was like, I didn't want to be alone. Let's team up together. And that's so true, but I didn't really know all that other stuff was going on. It's not like the romantic context. Like, hey, let's not oppress and power up on each other. Will you be my girlfriend? Right? I didn't know that. I didn't read it. But now I read it. You see that that makes perfect sense. Because he's describing the struggle that we all have to control. We all do. We can control by being active. We can control by being passive. We control by being direct. We can control by being indirect. We all have our own strategies. What Solomon is saying is teaming up with people is so much better when life gets tough. Because when life gets tough and you fall down, you have no one to pick you up. And what you find is there's people that have lived their whole life thinking power is the end. And in the end, when they have the power, they have no one to share their life with. And you see that again and again. You look at the most rich and powerful people in the world, most of them are isolated people. So what Solomon is saying is, be careful of your pursuit. Be careful of this idea that once you get the power you want, once you get the power you I just said that, once you get the money you want, you're going to be fulfilled. You're going to have everything you need. He's saying, no, it's not true. You could actually be the most lonely person if that becomes your end goal of life. So he draws a conclusion. It's lose-lose. second conclusion he makes is, I actually bring judgment on myself. When I power up on others and leverage my authority to squash people, no matter how I do it, no matter what strategy I use, I actually bring judgment on myself. This is what he says in Ecclesiastes eight. If you see in a province the oppression of the poor and the violation of justice and righteousness, do not be amazed at the matter, for the high official is watched by a higher, and there are yet higher ones over them. What he's saying is, even if you have an opportunity to use your power to get what you want but to hurt others, even if no one knows it, God sees. God sees everything. So, you may have got it past this official, and you may have got it past the official over them. But there's an official that sees everything, and you can't pull one over on God. He sees it. And so, Solomon's saying, Be careful. That may take a long time, but God brings judgment to these. He takes power very seriously. And if you use it in a way that's not right and not helpful in blessing people, you bring judgment. God sees. So, Solomon's saying, Be Be careful. Power should not be the end pursuit of your life. In these passages, too, he he talks about money. Now, when Solomon talks about money, we have to realize he's somebody that has had more money than one could ever spend. He knew what money was. Now, I talk about the rich and I talk about money and that life, but I don't really know it. I've never really had that myself. But Solomon, he's speaking... A man, direct experience, extravagant, anything he'd ever want, he could have. So he knew. And he wants to kind of shed some light on the the love of money as well. And he goes on, and he talks about if you spend your life trying to buy fulfillment, trying to buy meaning, trying to buy purpose, like if you think putting your money into something that you think you can buy, like what your life should be all about, you're going to come up, Empty. And he draws some more assumptions. He says, riches carry a baggage of their own. See, when you think about riches, you think of all the stuff you can get, right? Like, what can I buy? What freedom could I have to get anything I could ever want at any time? And he's saying, you know what? You may fill your house with a bunch of bags and all the riches that you have, but there's baggage that you can't pay for. It just comes from being rich. It's just baggage that's there. And he says this, Ecclesiastes 5.11, When goods increase, they increase who eat them. And what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? Sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. It's an interesting phrase. The stomach of the rich will not make him sleep. And he draws the conclusion in verse 10. He says, He who loves money... Will not be satisfied with money, nor he who lives wealth with his income. This also is a vanity. Isn't there a part of you that you're like, you know, I know Solomon tested that out. And I know he drew some conclusions. And I knew he had a lot of money to be able to do that with. Isn't there a part of you that was like, you know, God, I'm here if you would like another person to test whether that's true. I will volunteer my life and maybe the people close to me to draw these same conclusions. There's just a party that's like, okay, Solomon, come on, really? He who loves money will not be satisfied? Nor he who loves wealth with his income? This also is a vanity? It's like, it's like chasing after wind. Really? There's a part of us that it just, it's so ingrained in us that money seems to solve problems. That it's hard to take this seriously. Because at the end of the day, aren't a lot of stress from what you don't have. Isn't that true? It's just you don't have it. And what Solomon is saying, you may gain wealth and you may gain power. And so you're going to have a lot more of the things that you thought you need. But you're still not going to have what you actually need. There's still going to be things that you're just chasing after that you can't get your hands on. And that's how God has wired life. God has wired life that if we pursue a relationship, like if we love money and power like we would love a person, it does not love you back. There is no relationship with money. There is no relationship with power. It is empty. So again, Solomon, be, be careful. There's baggage that comes as you pursue it. So it carries baggage of their own. And then greed... A lot of times when you get rich, you want to get richer. And that can feed greed. you got to keep getting, you got to keep getting, you got to keep getting, keep building, keep building, keep building. And he says greed, it, it actually can lead to loss. This is also really interesting. He says, there's a grievous evil. This is in chapter 513. There is a grievous evil that I have seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owner to his hurt. And these riches were lost in a bad venture. And he is a father of a son, but he has nothing in his hand. So the rich has it, has it for an opportunity, for an opportunity, invested in something and he loses it all. And his son is now without anything. And so it's not just it leads to loss. It also leads to there's this sense of there's loss, not just for you, but for those that are connected to you. It trickles down, trickles across. He says, and As he came from his mother's womb, he shall go again, naked as he came, and shall take nothing for his toil that he may carry away in his hand. This also is a grievous evil. As he came, so shall he go. And what gain is there to him who toils for the wind? Moreover, check this out, verse 17, this is really important. Moreover, all his days he eats in darkness, in much vexation and sickness And anger. All his days he eats in darkness. I don't know about you, but if I were to think of like one of the worst experiences of life, it would be to like prepare a dinner, invite people over, put it on the table, no one show up, your power goes out, and you eat by yourself. I'm serious. Like, talk about depressing. You're so depressed, but no one even knows it. They can't even see you. You're in a dark house eating food by yourself. There's nothing that describes the loneliness and frustration that that would bring. That's what Solomon's saying. If you try to buy your way to understand what life is about and to be self-sufficient enough that you don't need the God who made you, you're going to experience loss your whole life. And those that are connected to you will experience loss. And it's going to be like just sitting in darkness and all you have is just the results of this emptiness, sickness, and anger. I don't know about you, but like when I watch movies and I see like the lifestyles of the rich and famous, remember that old show? Life, and that guy with the accent. Lifestyles of the rich and famous and you see their mansions and Everything you, you just see it all across in our media and tabloid. There's just this like just allure to like famous life, money, power it just seems so appealing. But if you actually look beyond the surface, you can see the crumbling that happens. This is true. This is real. People experience this. Solomon's speaking from experience. Solomon's seeing from what he's seen, people and people Live for and how it came up empty. And he's saying, Watch out, people. If your main relationship, if your main love, if what you cherish is money and power, it will not love you back. It doesn't come when you need a friend. You will fall alone and money can't pick you up. You will fall alone and power can't pick you up. What Solomon is saying is there's this idea of If you love this stuff, and it becomes the pursuit of your life. You end up not pursuing the relationships which are critical for a fulfilled life. And it starts with a relationship with God himself. God is the one that takes care of us. And what he's drawing a picture of is is people that don't have as much riches as the next. But if they have the God who provides for them, he's saying, who's better off? Who's better off? Because the rich, they have everything they need, but they're still empty. But those that don't, they can rely on God and find fulfillment. That's the paradox of following Jesus Christ. You may have less by the world's standards, but when you have a relationship with God, He fills in the gap. And so you have way more than you could ever want. You have a satisfaction that cannot come from earthly things. It can come only from being connected to God who's in heaven. It's like a little taste of heaven here and now. That's what Solomon's saying. You can't get that taste of heaven without connecting to God. And many times, you can't love power and money and experience that life that God has for you. That goes back to what Jesus says. You can't serve two masters. You can't live for both. You have to choose who you're going to live for. And Solomon is appealing to us. If you live for this stuff, Power and money, you will not get what you want. That's what he's describing. You're going to be lonely and alone. In the darkness, wanting help. So he's saying, watch watch out. So if you're like me, there's kind of like, okay, I shouldn't love money. I shouldn't love power. Got it. So what? Well, I want to just talk about what, what are things that we could do in the here and now practically so we can watch that tension that exists when we just want to power up on people. when We want to buy things and throw money at our problems. What, what are things that we can tend to do? Well, he describes that. He goes on in verse 18 and 20 of chapter five. He says, behold, what I've seen to be good and fitting. So he's saying, OK, I've really depressed you. I've said it's almost better to be dead than it is alive. But you're still alive reading what I'm writing. So you're thinking, what am I supposed to do? And he says, this is what you can do. This is the sunshine out of the hurricane that I've been describing to you. So pay attention to the rays of hope. So he says, behold, what I've seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil, which one toils under the sun. The few days of his life that God has given him for this is his life. Lot. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth, possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil. This is the gift of God. For he will not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. And he's basically saying. If you don't have a lot. Enjoy what you've been given. If you do have a lot, enjoy what you've been given and praise God who gave it to you. And then he draws a conclusion, which we haven't seen. Keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. That's what God does. He keeps us occupied with joy in his heart. There's a sense in which if you focus on what God wants from your life, he is the one that powers the joy. To your life. Because in the end, power and money, there's a sense in which we do that because we think it's going to make us happy. We want the joy. So we try to pay for it. Or we want the joy, so we try to power up for it. What he's saying is, this is a gift from God. Joy and happiness, that's a gift from him. You can't take it. He gives it. And he gives it as we do a few things. And this is what he says in this verse. Verses in 19. Really the key finding contentment and being okay is to accept our lot in life. We don't use lot a lot. <laughs> Sounded strange. We don't use lot many times when we speak. Except like in housing and things, like what's the size of your lot? But it's really a portion. And Solomon is saying, accept the portion that God has given you. Now, I have young kids and I deal with portions a lot because we have to share. And oftentimes it's dealt with like a dessert. And you have a slice of something, and there's always like, Dad, I want a piece, and then the other one, Dad, I want a piece, and then the third one, and I want a piece. You're thinking, Oh, mercy, that's small, and I have to divide that in thirds. And what saying we've come to say in our family quite frequently is you get what you get. And you don't get upset. So if you don't learn anything else today, you can use that phrase in your life. With your coworkers. it might not land the same way. But that's accepting your lot. You get what you get and you don't get upset. That's the portion that you've been given. That's what Solomon is saying. You have to accept it. It's the portion that God Has given you. Now, it doesn't mean that your portion grows. It doesn't mean that you should just sit around waiting for your portion to grow. God has given us the ability to work, to make money, to gain influence. But again, it's the gift from Him. So even that portion comes from Him. He determines that. So as we're working with Him and as we're trying to do life His way, oftentimes our portion can grow, our influence can grow, even our finances, they can grow. But there's always this point where you can never get away from which is accepting that the Lord has given and He has decided. He is in control. And when you look at these myths, especially these two, this power and money, it is really driven by discontentment. We do not like the portion we have been given. It's true. We don't, we don't like it. He's saying it's accepting our, our lot is key to contentment. Here's just a few ways that I realize I, I struggle with this. I've seen it just in the course of my life. You, you need a job and you get one, and then you get the job and you start. And after your first week, you're like, "Can I get a new job?" You ever been there? Like it's great, and you're thankful, but you're really like, "Like if my lot changes, like that's really cool with me, God, because this job stinks." It's true. Like, we accept it, but there's still like, oh, I don't like this. Like, I'm tired. work hard. I don't really like this. You finally get independent. You know, you're you're self-sufficient. And then you get things called bills, mortgages. Unforeseen circumstances, and you have to start forking out money. All of a sudden... God, I really like the independence, but this portion is a little too much for me right now. And we could struggle with that. See it again and again. There's just a the sense in which we're in a certain situation, which is our lot in life, and we're always wanting the next thing. Sometimes our lot, like it's this dream relationship, we've always wanted to get married. And then you get married, and you're wow, that's really hard. And then you're married, you think, like, well, you know, the next lot I have is, is going to be kids. And then you have kids, and you know what? Guess what? You got to start dividing slices of dessert into thirds. It's hard. You know, in all business, it, it is. The more lots you get, a lot of times you're whoa, well, how do I handle this? The portion is smaller than I'd hoped, or it's bigger, I can't handle it, or it's not really the one I wanted. And we just we sh- struggle at the heart level with this. So I'm saying, you, you have to accept it. That's the point in which you, before God, thank Him for what you've been given. You actually experience a joy that's from Him. He says that in verse 19 Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept His lot. Now listen to this and rejoice in His toil. This is the gift of God. So if you want to know how to accept your lot, it begins with thanking God for it. I want to to be okay. I want to not just chase the next thing, the next job, the next paycheck, the next relationship, the next thing that I think will make me happy. It starts with God, I trust You. You have given me what I need. And God, thank You for what You have given me. That's the key to accepting your lot. You trust God and you thank Him for what you've been given. Thanking God and focusing actually on what we've been given prevents us again and again from pursuing the wrong things. Because again, discontentment is what we don't have. But thankfulness is realizing what we do. And Solomon is saying, if you focus on thankfulness and what you've been given... You can save yourselves years of driving after the wrong things. So we have to accept what we've been given and thank God for it. So there's a key question What have I been given that I can be thankful for? What have you been given that you can be thankful for? Start there. What is it? Might mean you make a list, might mean you actually have to take some time to think about it. Think about it. Write it down and thank God for it. Then he makes one last conclusion about what really brings joy to life. I've already stated it somewhat. It's, it's focus on enjoying the present. And this is verse 18. Behold, what I've seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun the few days of his life that God has given him, for this is his lot. Again, Solomon describes life as a few days. As a mist. It's here and it's gone. And The way to experience contentment is you have to focus on the present. And nothing robs us of present joy than borrowing future problems. Nothing robs us like that does. This thing at work that you don't know how you're going to have to handle, this conflict that you are dealing with, all these things that you foresee happening... These are the things that rob us of the present joy. Solomon's saying there's such a few days. You have to focus on accepting your lot. You thank God for it. And then moment by moment, you trust Him. You do your part, but you trust Him. In school, in work, in family life. Don't wait for the next stage. Enjoy the one you have now and work it. Be faithful. Engage with your kids at the age they're in not the age you can't wait for them to be in. Engage in your work despite the pressure, despite the boss, despite the problem, and allow the work of your hands to produce something that's pleasing to God. That's what Solomon's saying. You can't wait for your portion to change. You have to work the ground now. And from that, you experience joy. This is very challenging to me personally, this idea of accepting what I've been given. It really comes from... You have to know what's going in your heart that you may not tell people. It's just kind of discontentment, this unsettling, this wish for something different. We all experience it. What Solomon is saying is, don't let this plant roots in your heart and grow into something that's going to lead you astray. You see it time and time again. No matter how long people walk with God, there's still that tendency which you can just... Forget the commands like Solomon did. Forget what he said. Forget the life he wants to lead you to. And you just pursue that thing that's just driving you in your heart. That discontentment. Solomon's saying, watch out. You don't want to be sitting alone in the dark. So I want to encourage you, as you think through your lot, what you've been given, and you have a lot of hopes and dreams like I do, you have a lot of vision of what you think your life should be, Before you think of those things, think of what God has given you right now. And after you've done that and you thank Him for that, think about what you have right now that you know you need to work, like you need to actually be faithful in. You need to handle your responsibilities well. Think about those things. Not the things that you hope will happen, but actually what do I have today that I need to do that will bring honor to God? That's right that might be treating someone a certain way. That may be finishing something you need to get done. I don't know what that is, but think about that. That's how you can experience the joy that God wants to give you. So I'm going to close this in prayer. John's going to come up in a moment, and he's going to walk through some next steps that you can take uh, based on today's message. We're going to be receiving our offering as well. But I encourage you, take some time to kind of wrestle with this within you and ask God really to help you come pray together. Father, I thank you so much for the help that you give us, despite the things that we battle within our hearts, within our desires. And God, we we trust that you can bring fulfillment like nothing else can. No other person, no other pursuit. God, it's so hard. We we tend to just forget that. And so I, I ask for your help, on behalf of all of us, that you'll remind us of what really matters. And God, we thank you for all that you've given us. Despite the problems we experience, despite the stress, despite the things that we wish were different, we thank you. And we thank you, God, that you love us enough to take care of us. So we ask for your help in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen.
1: Well, we really hope that this has been a help for everyone. In a moment, we're going to be receiving our offerings. So if you want to go ahead and finish filling out anything on your connection card that you didn't have time to fill out before. And as the ushers come by, you can just go ahead and drop that in the connection or in the offering box. Each week, we encourage everyone here to go ahead and take a next step. And what these are is they're really just practical steps of things that you can apply that you've learned out of the message. The blessing of God's word really comes out of the doing and not just the hearing. You know, as Alex shared with us about King Solomon, while he was not following God, he still had his wisdom, but he wasn't receiving the blessing of that wisdom because he wasn't living that out. So really encourage you to think through something that you've either learned today or throughout this message series that God's been putting on your heart that you can go ahead and choose to take a next step in this week. We have a few suggestions for you that you can find on the back of your connection card. You can go ahead and mark on there. Or if you have something, again, that God has been speaking to you about personally, you can go ahead and uh, write that out for yourself. And then as offering comes by, you can just drop that in. Um, A couple of the next steps that we have that are options for you is to read Ecclesiastes 4 through 5 this coming week. You can also choose contentment in a different area, or as Alex was uh, suggesting, we can choose to look at faithfulness or thankfulness for the different things that God has done in our life. We can also choose to accept the lot that God has given us. So the band is going to go ahead and lead us as the ushers come on down.